0: Welcome to Real Rap with Reynolds Teacher Talk with your host, C.J. Reynolds.
1: My name is C.J. Reynolds. I have a YouTube channel called Real Rap with the Reynolds in which I spout some advice and shenanigans about the teaching world. I teach ninth grade literature in West Philadelphia, and tonight I have a special guest on with me. Uh, Chris Peck, who runs the Instagram feed, The Hipster Teacher. All of his stuff will be linked below, so you can check him out. He is fantastic. I've already stolen a number of different ideas from him. I've secretly stolen more for next year that I haven't really talked about yet. Maybe they'll come up tonight. I have no idea. But uh, I'm going to guest him in now, and then we'll get started. If you want to, you can follow us on YouTube. Maybe you're following us on now. Something to buy time, because my dog is over there also. There's... There's Chris, hold on one second, here we go. Chris, can you hear me all Yeah, I made it. (laughs) Awesome, thanks man, thanks for doing this, I really, really appreciate it. Yeah, no problem. That's, uh, so, for the people that uh, don't know who you are, haven't found your Instagram yet, um, which would be weird because I've, that's where I find everyone, is through your Instagram account. So, uh, could you give them a little, idea of like who you are where you teach kind of anything you yeah. think might be
0: okay um i am hipster teacher on instagram uh my name is chris chris peck i teach in utah kind of central utah i teach english for 10th grade 12th grade and next year i'm gonna be teaching speculative literature which i'm pretty excited about uh, i've only been teaching like a few years so not too long
1: uh, yeah. So yesterday we were talking about on here how like I was a little bit surprised uh, at how long you'd been teaching. Cause something something about you told like made me feel like you'd been teaching for longer than that. Um, uh, I appreciate let, that. Let me I guess. Take a question. What is speculative literature? What's what's that going to look like? It's
0: um, I don't know. It's it's all sorts of a messy definition, I guess. But the way I look at it and how I kind of propose the class was looking at more science fiction uh alternate history that type of thing and really diving into that literature i actually have a philosophy degree so i'll probably mostly
1: be talking about philosophical ideas through that literature nice um did you get to pick that class yourself like do you get to come up with your own stuff
0: yeah sort of um so what happened was the the department head of english uh, asked everyone what they'd like to teach, like several ideas. So I said that I'd like to teach a class with poetry. Um, man, there are a few others I don't remember. I gave him like a list of five, and I got a call, and he's kind of like, "Hey, would you want to do speculative literature?" So I guess yeah, I kind of picked it at least for the most part. I thought it I thought it'd be a
1: lot of fun to teach something like that. So that's cool. That's cool. I'm excited kind to see of that how of pans out for you. Um. So first question that came up is. Is there anything you regret about your teaching career? What do you think so far? Is there anything, oh, man. So oh, if you don't want to do something first, you can throw it back at me. But generally I just, I throw it at you first and see what happens with that.
0: Yeah, um, not yet. I mean, I haven't been teaching a whole lot. There's the difference between my first year of teaching and my second year of teaching was pretty significant. Um, just in how I taught and how I engaged the students, what I taught. I don't know if I regretted anything. I definitely learned a lot, though, just from one year to the next. And I'm sure you know this coming year will will be the same in what I learn. But no, no regrets so far. I love what I teach. I love where I teach. Um, maybe there's more regrets leading up to being a teacher, but that's about it. Yeah. <laughs> I
1: think. I think uh, if anything, I would have gone harder on everything. I would have not have been so worried about the outcome. One of the wonderful things about teaching in urban schools is like, there's a really, really slim chance that you're going to get fired. So I would have like made, um, I just would have done all the crazy things I thought about in my first year. And I would have just went a hundred percent in on all of them and kind of worried about the how I was going to look less or what other teachers were going to think or, and I think I, I really did that to some extent, but I would have just gone full tilt from, from the start because looking back, like now I feel like I'm, I get to largely do that and and I don't even always do it a hundred percent, but I just, that would have been great and would have just made for like even better memories and better stories and better lessons for the kids. I think. Um, So, why, so what I'm seeing is, how did you, why did you decide to go into teaching?
0: Well, that's kind of a long question. It kind of has to do with my regrets uh, that I said before. So when I was like a kid, I had this idea that it'd be really cool to be a teacher. I think when I was maybe 10, that probably was mostly sparked by the idea of having summers off. Um, so far, I haven't experienced summers off. I've either taught summer school. I just started my master's. So that was, that didn't work out, but I kind of had an idea, (laughs) I think, based off of that. But growing up, my dad was a professor at a university. And as I went into high school, um, I wanted to be a teacher, but I wanted to teach at a college level, I guess, more of a professor and going into college, I realized that probably wouldn't work, especially with English. It was just a struggle. And I wasn't like at some prestigious college or anything like that. So I bounced around a lot uh, in college. I went from just getting an English degree to physics, to biotech, to biology education. And I have this like really clear kind of memory of going, it was right after finals, I had taken a genetics final that I just completely bombed. I took a college biology two final that I bombed. I had passed microbiology, but it was the second time taking it because the first time I had bombed. And I'm sitting there in the hallway, and I'm like, this is a disaster. This is so bad. And it, like, dawned on me, and I don't know why it didn't dawn on me before, um, that I really liked English, and I started with English. And somehow, in my college journey, I got lost. So I got up right then, changed my major to English education, and just loved it and enjoyed it. And that made me want to teach even more. And it made me want to teach uh, students at the high school level even more, where I could reach them and kind of help them not make the same mistakes I did. I wasn't a great uh, high school student. I think this is embarrassing. I think I graduated with like a 1.9 GPA, nice. so it was not my best years, but yeah. it's kind of a weird journey, but,
1: but it all kind of accumulated into this. I want to be a teacher. Yeah. I, mine, sort of similar in that way. Like I didn't like high school. I liked my friends, but I didn't really care for high school. I was never yeah. ever pumped to go in. Uh, I never had a teacher that I particularly liked or loved or thought was someone I could confide in. And so it's really funny. The fact that I am a and the type of teacher that I, that I try to be is so far removed from pretty much anything that I've known. Um, so yeah, I thought that was it's been, it's been an interesting career choice for me, but one that I really, really have enjoyed so far. Miss um, Kindergarten asked, uh, and so I'm not. So I'll ask you this question, but I'm not sure I have anything to say this because it sounds like it's just for you. Um, do you have to teach to the Mormon beliefs? So being in Utah, right? Like, does that like affect your your teaching at all, or or your curriculum at all? I, I have no idea.
0: I don't think so. I don't personally. Um, I tell them whenever they whenever they disagree. So I have, like I said, a lot of, I love science. I read lots of books in science, apparently the academic side I suck at, um, but I love it. So I talk a lot about it and sometimes very, very um, not often. That was a bad sentence. Sorry. Not very often, I get a student who who doesn't really like what I'm saying or agree with it. And I tell them, because uh, I teach in a public school, this is a secular classroom, we're just gonna treat it like that. If you don't agree, I mean, there's a lot of people you can talk to and kind of work through your own faith with them. And I'm, I'm totally open to them doing that. But in my classroom, I try to keep it, I feel it's easiest if I just stick to the public school system and, and that type of thing, at least within my English class. I can't speak with all the teachers there. I think a
1: lot of them do, but I kind of made the decision. We're not going to
0: mix those two.
1: Yeah. It's, it's tricky. Um, one of the books I teach each year is Persepolis, which is a graphic mm-hmm. novel about a little girl growing up in Iran. Yeah. And so on the front end, I have to teach a lot or talk a lot about like the Muslim religion. And I have kids get really upset about that. Or I get kids that feel like I'm misrepresenting them. Cause I don't, cause I'm not, I don't share that religion with them. And so a lot of times what I'll end up doing is just having kids share their stories and, and kind of frame it like that. Like this is your, what's, what's your background because that's going to mirror a lot of what's going on in the book. And then it comes off. I feel like the kids listen more because it's not just me like spouting off facts or having like my cute PowerPoint, but it's someone talking about their actual reality. And, and that's, yeah, that always goes further. I think when, when you can make it personal. Um, it's it's impossible to
0: avoid it, but no, it's it's impossible to avoid it. I mean, I am in Utah, so I think like 85, 90% of them are Mormon. Um, and sometimes that is good. Sometimes it does bring something to the conversation. Um, when we're talking about things that have kind of a religious aspect, I teach the book night, which talks a lot about Judaism and stuff like that. and, and, I think they find some interest.
1: And there's my dog again for no reason. Can we give him one of those things? Um and my wife. So, uh this is this is the domestic life. You just you yeah. never know what's happening around me. Uh so I'm really really bad with names. I'm going to say that up front, but Adarina Cavero says, "In your opinion, what's like the number one thing that you feel is essential to teaching minority students?" That's really, really interesting question. I like that question. Uh, do you have an answer for that? I mean, I could go first if you want, but.
0: Yeah, that's kind of tricky just because in Utah, especially where I teach, I'm in, I'm in Utah Valley, very central Utah, it's like 90% white middle-class or upper-class students, it, 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 there's very little diversity within the student body. Um, so the minority that I see, there's some Hispanic um, kids that are there. It's it's pretty small. Um, and minorities that I see are usually um, students with like, who are gay, lesbian, bisexual, you know, LGBTQ type things. So what I try to do with in my class, and, and it's not like to a big extent only because there's so few of them, is, um, to talk about biases that we have and be really upfront about it, how people have these and how if we're critical thinkers and if we're really thinking about, uh, information that's presented to us, whether it be, uh, whatever minority group they're kind of thinking about that, we should critically evaluate like our own reaction to, to those people's beliefs or their way of life. Um, I think a lot of the issues that don't ever get brought up and I try to bring up in my class through teaching books like Monster or Night*, or, Knight, or I, I do excerpts from Ta-Nehisi Coates Between the World and Me are issues of racism because they don't experience it firsthand very often. So there's typically kind of a ignorance about it or a, a, they don't really think that it's it's a real thing. So I try to bring that to light and address it in a very intellectual, uh, safe place where they can come to understand it um, and really kind of evaluate those different issues. It's, it's, it's weird here because it's very undiverse.
1: Yeah, uh, I think for me, I've only ever taught in schools that were mainly filled with children of color. And so I I've, I could probably count on one hand how many like white kids I've had in in my classroom in my life and so I I think first of all I try and go into everything uh, not pretending that I know anything about anyone I try not to because my students now in Philadelphia come from all over the city we're a charter school which means that anyone can like throw their name in a hat almost literally they pick a name out they pick your name out you get to come to our school and so what get kids that come from like really good homes and and from good parts of the city and that are safe and they've had one type of upbringing. Then we will get other students who come from different types of homes that are, you know, maybe uh, mom and dad aren't together. Maybe they're being raised by their grandmom or foster parents and they come from more challenging backgrounds. And so I try not to go in thinking I know anything about anyone and that really, really serves me well. And then I think the next step is to, uh, I, I just had this conversation with a student today. Uh, I'm not even sure this is a real phrase, but I tried to like out vulnerable all of the students. Right? So if I really want to connect with you, the way that I do that is I try and be like as vulnerable as I possibly can without like there, there's a line obviously that I try not to pass, but like, um, I want kids to know that even though you might have some idea of who you think I am because of what I look like or the way that I speak or where I grew up that I've had my own struggles and my own difficulties in life and I try and put that stuff out on the table because I think that really, really bridges the gap. Kids, when they feel like comfortable talking to you or they feel like they can be vulnerable with you to an extent that just, that just, in a lot of ways makes a lot of differences non a non-issue. It just erases a lot of that stuff. And, and it, and, in my classroom, at, at least. Like, I don't think that they necessarily carry that out into the world. But uh, it, in our classroom, I try to make that, like, kind of bridge that gap and and notice the differences and celebrate them. But at the same time, like, make it a place where we can talk about all this stuff. Because I'm teaching 14, 15-year-old boys. I don't think they're, like, having a lot of conversations about this that topic. To begin with. Yeah. So, um, Davis 52. Together, nice. I think I said that right. Uh, Davis says, you seem to have great relationships. I am i don't know who this is directed towards necessarily, but uh, you seem to have great relationships with your students. What's one thing that you do at the beginning of the year to develop these? That's a really, that's an awesome question. Um, yeah. Has it been the same both years or have you changed that, that game up a little bit? It's it's kind of been the same, Maybe maybe some
0: small differences, but for the most part, the first thing I do with my students the first day, and I, this kind of comes back to your out vulnerable them yeah. that's a phrase whatever we call it, that, yeah. When I introduce myself at the very beginning of the year, I tell them an embarrassing story about myself, which involves me eating ice cream at the store like soft serve with my beard and not realizing that it's all over my beard. So people are staring at me like looking around and I'm just like enjoying this ice cream cone with it all over my face. And it kind of just, it it breaks the ice a little bit because I've started with like really embarrassing. So hopefully it only gets up from there. Uh, one of the big things I do with my students to help, um, the classroom community, uh, help them feel safe and, and to share things is to do poetry towards the beginning of the year normally the end of first term so we've had a couple weeks to kind of get to know each other i typically tell a lot of stories i I like them to know me as a person and as a teacher to have that respect and we talk about that a lot but then i want to do something that's going to help them express themselves and see me express myself so we do poetry Um, and i used to do some slam poetry and poetry readings and things like that. Nothing like huge, but I enjoyed it. So I read some of my own poetry to them, like right off the bat, like beginning of class, right when we start poetry. And I encourage them at first through extra credit, but I take that away and still just as many people go up and at the end of class, they have an opportunity to share the poems they wrote. We write at least one poem every single day during poetry And by the end, I've got like 15, 20 students who are going up, wanting to share their poetry just to share it. And we have kind of a big poetry thing at the end. And for me, this has done a wonderful job because they all see that they're all, uh, I guess, vulnerable. They all have these emotions and it really helps them empathize with one another. So doing that kind of towards the beginning of the year really helps them understand each other, see what each other has gone through because poetry is really personal. Um, a lot of the time. And by the end, they're all sharing very personal poems about um, eating disorders or homelessness uh, or drug addiction. And some of them are really, you know, happy, inspiring poems about overcoming these things, um, which is just, they're beautiful. And the students understand each other a lot more. And I think that really helps with that aspect of having a really good culture within the classroom
1: to help the learning progress in a very organic way. Yeah, that's, I think you're right on. I, uh, I like that you said that you share a lot of stories just because I have that commonality. Also, I teach through story most of the time and every once in a while, i get a kid that's like, what are you going to, are you just going to talk about yourself all day? And I'm like, yeah, probably. <laughs> Cause you know, that's like my number one topic that I know about. Yeah. So sit back and get ready. Uh, first day of school with freshmen. So our students largely have not gone to our school before they've come from all these other schools. Sometimes they don't know anyone. And one of the things I like to do is I bring in my freshman ID, which is like, I wish I had, I really wish I had it. I will, I will post this on Instagram at some point. Um, it's like me with like this kind of like early nineties skater haircut and, uh, like this little necklace situation going on. I am like I'm I'm whiter than white, man. And so <laughs> I show this as a way to show the kids like, yeah, man, I was a total, like I thought I was cool, but I, I maybe I was, I, I mean, I'm far from cool now, but I think showing that goes a long way and just kind of like, put, I put myself on blast right away. And then I tell the students about my first day of freshman year when I ate lunch in the lunchroom and I get my tray and I walk out into the lunchroom and I don't know anyone in the whole lunchroom and I'm just like paralyzed. I'm like, where am I, where am I going to sit? And I went to a really, really tough high school. That was a high school where they would kick kids out of like the rougher high schools in New Jersey and then they would send them there to go learn a trade at least. And so it was all these kind of like, I don't know, in my mind, it kind of looked like roadhouse with Patrick Swayze. There's like stuff going on and like kids getting in fights. So I just picked the table that had the biggest kids at it and just kind of like slunk right in there. And I remember this dude going, what do you think you're doing? And I said, it's just, I don't, I'm just going to sit here for a minute. And it was cool. (laughs) They let me do it. And then I never had any problems at lunch. No one's going to beat you up if you sit at the big kid table, but to kind of help my students with that sort of fear, I offer to any freshman that they can eat their lunch in my room during lunch time. And that's my offer for the whole year. And I usually get, I eat lunch every day with about 20 to 30 guys. They get to know one another over time. And I try, And then I send uh, kids down to our dining hall. And I say, like, you have to find the three kids that are down there right now that are eating by themselves. They're trying to look like they're not eating by themselves. And just invite them up to our room. And they can listen to music. They can hang out. They can just read a book. They can play games on their phone. But I think that really starts building a community. Uh, and it, it kind of makes me feel like I'm part of, like... The island of misfit toys from from the Rudolph movie. Uh, another question from Adriana is, "Oh, it said I'm starting lunch bunch because of you, Reynolds. You're influencing classrooms in Florida. That's awesome. It's it's gr- I'm telling you, eating lunch with kids it breaks down all the barriers. You're not just yeah. you're not just like." In class teaching them, you're actually having conversations, listening to them, watching all their ridiculous YouTube videos that they want you to watch about like the flying lawnmowers and all kinds of other weird crap. Oh, so, no. yeah. Uh how so here's another question for you. How-to scholar asked, What is the thing that you look forward to the most when you're on your way to school every day? Love the channel, thanks man, I appreciate the love. Uh, so what do you look forward to on your way to school every day? Oh my goodness,
0: I absolutely love my students. Like every single one of them, even the ones that drive me nuts like every single day, I I love interacting with them. They, they just have so much uniqueness that they bring to the table and through conversations and, and even at lunch, like you said, like I usually have anywhere from five to like 25 students that are sitting in there eating. So I, I typically get to school quite early cause I'm really bad at mornings and I have to sit there forever uh, trying to wake up. But I, I love having like a couple students come in in the morning just to like say hi, or I have a few during second period, um, we have kind of an a, a day, B day schedule. So I don't see them every single day yeah. who come in just to say hi every time. And then, you know, go off to their class and I'll see them in, in class the next day. And it's just, it's encouraging to be able to have that kind of relationship with the students where you want to see them, they want to see you, they enjoy your, uh, your classroom and being in it and learning and the atmosphere. And I think it takes a lot of work to get to that point to where they want to be there, to where you're comfortable with them coming in either during class or outside, and you can have these really meaningful conversations but honestly like i i look forward to it every day there's not been in, in my short time of teaching but i don't see this happening different in the future there hasn't been like a monday that i haven't just been excited to see them or getting back from a break and being like all right i'm ready to see my students i i i want to interact with them so
1: uh yeah that's i feel the same way my my answer is slightly different but along those same lines is i love the mystery i love that even yeah. though I think I know what's going to happen that day or I have my lesson planned and maybe I'm pumped about it. Maybe I'm not that when I get to school, anything can happen. So even days when I'm not thrilled on my way in, yeah, I've never, I've never in 12 years wanted a different job or thought about doing something yes, else. Yeah. Really, But, uh, when I walk into my school and I mean, my classroom is maybe 50 feet from the front door. I, must get 20 hellos or handshakes from the time I walk into the building to the time that I get to my door. And then my room is almost instantly flooded by students that either eat breakfast with me or are just coming in. Like every Monday we have a walking dead conversation where we talk about the walking dead the night before, or we talk about, yeah. there's another group that talks about game of Thrones. And so there's all of these conversations immediately. Like it's 7:30 in the morning and everyone's on 10 and I just love that because that gets me pumped just as much as anything else. When you're yeah. pumped, and then you just never know what's going to happen. Like, maybe someone had a bad day and or night, and they really, really need to speak with you. Maybe someone had something really great that happened, or I had something great that happened, and the kids are just as excited to hear about that. So I just love that mystery of like, you just don't know what's going to happen. I open that front door, and you know something's going to happen that's going to need my attention, and I like I I like being needed like that because you know. That's what narcissists do. They like you. yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, so someone asked on the chat here on the side, "How did your name, the hipster teacher, come about?" <laughs> um, I don't. I don't actually know.
0: Um, I have to think about that. I guess when I first started teaching, a few students kind of commented, I guess, on the way I dress, which I kind of ran with. So I started wearing like, I don't even know if you can find them on my Instagram. I should post some pictures. I, I used to have like overall or not overall uh, suspenders on and just all these like different like hipster, I, I guess hipster dress things that I would start wearing. And then I made like these cards more of a joke that were like, you are a hipster. And anytime anyone in my class would say That they had done something before it was cool or done something before someone else or anything, any of those like hipstery catchphrases. I just go over to my desk and without a word, hand them this card like you've earned this. So it just kind of came about slowly of them perceiving me that way. And I guess if they perceived me that way, I was kind of hipstery, um, like skinny jeans and suspenders, eventually, shirt and tie. I don't, I guess. Uh, I think the beard helped a lot for some reason. That's, uh, no, I just went with
1: it, I guess. (laughs) Do they follow your Instagram feed, your students?
0: Yeah, some of them do. I keep it open and I usually have something in like their disclosure or something else that's saying, Hey, I have this. And just so you're aware But I have, I also have like a ton of parents that follow my Instagram account of them. And it's, it's kind of a big, it's really been kind of a cool community type thing where they're able to experience me as a teacher but also through social media i think it's a wonderful tool to use to help engage them yeah i i'm excited they're usually excited to kind of find it i don't tell anyone about it but they just kind of find out anyway when they arrive to the school the new sophomores we don't have freshmen at my school but oh wow yeah it's it's 10 11 and 12 for some reason
1: Got to be way calmer than uh, than a school with ninth graders, I would imagine. So, <laughs> or they're all
0: just a little more immature. they the tenth graders are quite squirrely,
1: but I I love them. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I love that age. Uh, Luke Rosa asked. He said, "Great chat so far, guys. Thanks, Luke. And what's the best way that you've found to modify lessons for struggling kids?"
0: Oh man, that's that's tricky. Um, there's only always a few of them, and it usually comes down to communicating with them when I notice that they're struggling, uh, communicating with them, seeing what's going on and trying to help them as much as I possibly can to help them to succeed. That often looks like giving them more time on assignments or alternate assignments, uh, allowing some leeway with things. And that's kind of a debate that at least within my department, we've been having quite a lot is, Where do you draw that line? Where are you enabling them instead of encouraging them? So I think it really is a a student by student basis on figuring out what they need and still trying to push them, but also giving them the help they need, whether it's extra help. The, The nice thing about the school I'm in is they have this kind of flex time right before lunch for 25 to 30 minutes, something like that where I can request those students to come to my room, either one-on-one or just a few of them that seem to be struggling with the same concept and go over it again with them in kind of different ways and kind of talk with them and communicate on where they're struggling. So I think ultimately it comes down to communication, um, being willing to work with them. And I think that I have kind of a unique perspective just because I struggled in high school. I didn't like high school. I had a hard time in high school. I didn't really get it. I guess I didn't see the point of it. Um, and coming from that perspective, I'm able to relate to them a lot better. I feel in understanding. Sometimes you know it's it's not you just not wanting to do the work. You're just not understanding it, or I'm I'm failing you as a teacher by not teaching it well. There's there's a lot of things that go into it, but communication I'd say is at least the first first thing that I ask from them and that I try to be open with them about.
1: Yeah, I think that's right on. I think knowing the student and teaching to that instead of like trying to teach to someone's like disability or their limitation or thinking you know where they are or, you know, I'll hear that someone is on a third grade reading level. So, you know, a lot of times you would just think to go to the third grade reading level books or something like that. And it's a lot of times I just, it takes really getting to know the students and The sad part is that makes it really, really difficult to, to, to teach everyone as fully as you could, especially when you have a class of 30 and everyone is below grade level. But one of the things I'm starting next year, which I'm excited about, and this question may be interested in even talking about is I'll be in a co-taught classroom. So it'll be me and a special ed teacher in a classroom every single day. And I am thrilled about that. Our class sizes will be a little bit smaller. And then we're going to track those guys from ninth grade to 10th grade, and we will both teach them both years so that you don't even have that lag that you typically get in the beginning of the year where you're like going over uh, like stuff that you think they should have learned last year. So just it makes it a little bit more seamless, the learning time, and then we'll track their progress through that. And that's something that's really, really exciting to me. And we don't I mean, we don't even have a curriculum for this yet. It's something that we're working on. Mm-hmm. over the summer that i'm just thrilled to like really really help some kids that that need it yeah um next question is myra cohort God, I am, this is why I have, everyone has nicknames at school because i can't say anyone's name correctly uh did you choose what lit or how do you choose what or i'm sorry i'm 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 reading a question that i think is going to be there do you get to choose the literature that you teach? If so, how do you choose which text are you should teach? And how do you access those texts? That's a really good question. Uh, that is a really good question. Um, you pick what you want to teach? or did they I get to their- pick.
0: We usually, as a department, choose one book that we all want to teach. So the last two years, it's been Monster by Walter Dean Myers, yep. which is a great book, very accessible um, I don't think we're doing it next year. And we pick one book that whatever we want to read. So my first year I chose a Neil Gaiman book, The Ocean at the End of the Lane. And that was just a disaster. That didn't work at all. (laughs) And it's kind of just like trial by fire. I love the book. I think it's extremely engaging. It has a lot of powerful themes. And my students just were like, we do not get it. They didn't understand what was going on at all. So I dropped that one mostly it's just trial and error. This year I'm teaching, uh, I taught night this last year, school ended like two weeks ago for me. Taught night. that was just beautiful. The students were engaged the whole time and I felt that it had a lot of important themes and that's kinda what I focus on when teaching literature or what themes do I want them to understand, what themes maybe are timeless that still relate now um, that they can look at. And how can we apply those? So night was a great choice. And I chose for my seniors next year, and this might be a little young for them, but I think it'll be still fine is Flowers for Algernon. Okay. Which is a, I think, beautiful book. It really deals with a lot of important themes of kind of perception of yourself and how others see you. Is that good or bad? That type of thing. But I think the biggest thing I focus on are the themes that the book holds. And if those themes are timeless, can I teach something like night that was about a historical event that was written quite a while ago and still have it relevant today? So,
1: yeah, yeah I think that's really important as well. And, and so we get to pick our own books, but at this current school that I'm at, uh, and I try to pick things that did not go too far outside the box because I know that certain things are going to be referenced again later in high school or in college. Like they'll expect that you've read *Lord of the Flies* or *Fahrenheit 451* or *The Odyssey*, but it. But I still pick those because one, they're books that I really like, and so if I can be really excited about something, I know that that's generally going to translate over to my students. If I'm teaching something that's kind of a drag, like I have the one book I have to teach every year is uh, we read *Merchant of Venice* by Shakespeare. Yeah, and it's just like. Uh, it just doesn't do it for me. I used to teach *Romeo and Juliet* loved it got pumped about it every year made like great projects and we did all this these great activities in class and Merchant Events is kind of my one that I just kind of get through for the year but I think the same thing I think themes play a large part in that and also what I'm excited about and what I think I can get the kids excited about because at the end of the day you know, we do independent reading also where the students have to read a number of books all year. They can read pretty much anything that they want to read. I'll order anything that they want me to order, but I just want them to read. And that's, yes. to me, more than anything. Like, are you just reading every single day for an extended period of time so that you're just becoming a better reader? And that's... that becomes a real key and i think that's
0: extremely important that idea of is it going to engage them are they going to enjoy it not just get some lesson out of it i think that's really really important and it helps them want to be lifelong learners i think and that's that to me is one of the biggest reasons to to read in class and then have them read their own books
1: yeah um someone is asking if you are on YouTube or Instagram? So this is, I'll just reiterate, if, if someone just came in, this is Chris Peck, he is the hipster teacher on Instagram. He does not have a YouTube channel as of yet, but uh, that might be changing, right? Yeah, hopefully, it's, uh,
0: it's a learning curve for me. <laughs> I have what I'm trying to figure out, but it might be a
1: while. <clears throat> it, it's wide open out there. There's not a lot of us yeah. high school teachers on there. <laughs> um, someone just asked, Philip asked, Reynolds, I'm a 20-year-old. I qualified as a teacher two weeks ago, and I'll be starting to teach high school in September. I am thinking of doing teacher vlogs. Any advice? So, uh, I mean, that that's kind of hits on this conversation. T- you know, it's interesting. I started YouTube because last summer because my son wanted to, wanted a YouTube channel, and I just always knew that growing up, or that when I had kids, that I always just wanted to be the dad that that I always wanted, right? And so I, if my son is really into, like last summer was really into Pokemon Go, man, I know more about Pokemon Go than most other 40 year old men that I know because that's what my dude is into and so that's what I got into. So I started doing YouTube and his interest kind of changed from like vlogs to he wanted to start doing gaming videos, which we haven't transitioned into yet, but I felt like I learned all these skills like how to edit and do all this crazy stuff and poured all these hours into it. And then it was like, I can't, can't not do anything with this anymore. So I just started doing stuff at yeah. school. And I'd say my advice would be just start doing stuff. Like I, I only use students that I knew initially were, uh, were like, it would be all right. Like they they either had YouTube channels or I really knew their parents well. So I wasn't just like putting kids out there and into the world of the internet but you know, it's, it's so funny. One of the things that amazes me the most is like, what's totally normal for me is completely unusual for other people. So because of where I teach or because of what country I teach in or because you forget that it's the World Wide Web and that someone in Holland is gonna say, wait a minute, I don't understand how you're doing that. Or why do you start your lesson like that? Or can you really talk to your students that way? Or you don't get in trouble for shooting kids with water pistols? like." Those are there's all these crazy questions that come up that makes it really interesting, and the more I do it, and even if I think it's totally mundane and like normal day in the life, it blows people's minds because they're not that's not their normal. Well, um, that's like my marker throwing. <laughs> yeah,
0: was, I, I didn't know I didn't know that it, it, it'd be such a, a hit with you, and I had a few other teachers who were trying it, and my students yeah. just eat it up. I mean, if there's ever an example of like intrinsic motivation. I feel like that is it. Like you get that to land
1: and you're on cloud nine for the rest of the day. so funny that stuff. And so what, what Chris is talking about is this game that I, did you make this up? Yeah. Well, what happened
0: was I was, when I teach, I wander a lot. I like, I had a student once count how many times I paced back and forth. She's like, (laughs) you're at six or something. But I wander around my classroom and I was in the back of the classroom talking to them, sitting on a counter. And when I stood up, I just, through the marker and I missed it and it was awful. But from then on out, I I had this goal. I had to make it, I had to make it. And then a lot of students wanted to be able to do this. And then it kind of turned into a big thing, big competition. And they just love it. So what we do is for those of you who don't, don't know the whiteboard markers, you want to throw it and land it on the tray, the whiteboard tray thing in front of the whiteboard and it's super hard. I
1: think uh when you land it uh
0: there's no better feeling in the world so
1: yeah yeah it's it's a fun game and it's one of those really great I put it in a video of like things to do if you have 5 minutes left in class because the rule is like everyone has to be sitting down and it has to be silent and and then you do it i mean like keep it at a reasonable level i mean it's impossible to keep them silent doing that but it really just makes the end of the class really fun and and it's it's awesome uh someone is asking morgan miller is asking Sometimes an outburst from a student or a teacher or teacher's lounge gossip will negatively impact my entire day. Do you have any advice for staying positive and not focusing on the negative components as much? That's really that's an awesome question. That's
0: a great question that's yeah. one thing I mean, I think a lot of teachers have to deal with that are are the negative attitudes that come from students or teachers. So with my students, I I actually have a little bit easier time, and this just happened one day, where I had two students who just kept talking, kept interrupting, they're being quite disrespectful, and I called them both out into the hall. Middle class, I wanted to talk to them, I think everyone was reading or or doing something more quiet, so I just pulled them out. And as I was walking out, getting ready to say, like, you can't act like that, this is not appropriate behavior. I changed my tune and I wanted to talk to them in a positive way. So immediately we went out and I said, listen guys, a lot of the students in this classroom look up to you and respect you. You guys are really cool guys and they, they really mimic the behavior that you portray. There's, and there's a lot of studies that kind of actually prove that is, if someone has a negative outlook to the class and voices it a lot, then the rest of the class kind of adopt that. So I tried to get rid of it. I said because you guys are are just really popular, they're looked up. I need your help to help everyone else in the class be just as engaged and help them understand their influence not in my class but also within the whole school and how great it can be. We went back in and both of them immediately went to work and did what they needed to do and when I had questions would raise their hands. And when the class started getting really loud, I had one, this one kid, Brandon speak up and he said, listen, guys, Mr. Peck puts a lot of work into these lessons and we really should be paying attention. I was like, oh, oh, thank you, Brandon. (laughs) But it works. I mean, the positive behavior towards them instead of, of negativity really changes their outlook to themselves and for the class, I think. And so I just started practicing that, having a really positive attitude, even for those people that aren't participating, who aren't listening, it it worked perfectly. And I started doing that with anyone who would misbehave, and, and they all changed. They realize their behavior influences other people. Uh, with teachers, it's kind of tricky. I mostly don't associate with them. <laughs> I, 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 it's a weird balance of I don't really want to offend them, especially since I'm only te- have only been teaching for two years, but I also don't want to associate with teachers who are cynical, who who really are negative towards student behavior instead of trying to help. And that's yeah. that's the ultimate goal is I want them to I want to help students, I want them to be engaged, and I want them to learn something and enjoy doing it while they're while they're learning.
1: Yeah. I, uh... I like a few things that you said in there and one that stands out to me is the the i think the hallway talk number one is huge right so i'm going to remove you from your audience and i'm going to have a real rap which is where i got my name real rap with the reynolds um is like this kind of real talk we're going to have a conversation and what i do a lot of times is i'll direct it onto me and say i don't know what's going on but i I need to know like what I did that upset you that made you kind of act this way. And that goes really far because I think most of the time when kids get pulled aside, they're getting ready to have someone read the riot act to them. And instead when I'm taking the blame, it's, you know, that makes kids like a little bit shocked. They're, they're not sure what to say to that. And so that's, that's one way that I'll deal with it. I think also, my friends and I have this uh, term that we call closing the loop. And so if, if there's a kid that has a problem with me or if they really upset me, I make sure that I absolutely have to talk to them again, no matter how much they pissed me off, because I really want to just say and convey to them, like, look, I need you to know that your education is my number one concern. Your well-being overall is my primary concern in life. Um, And as far as a teacher anyway, I want to make my kids feel bad, but, uh, you know, so I actually care about you. And the fact mm-hmm. that you're pissed off or you're acting this way, it it deeply bothers me. And I just want you to know that like, if you want to talk about it, we can. If you don't want to, I want you to know that even if you come into class tomorrow and act like an ass, I still love you and I'm still going to care about wow. you. And so I think that throws kids off a lot of times too. Mm-hmm. In regards to teachers, go ahead. To- oh no, I was, there was a follow-up question I wanted to get to, but yeah, teachers, you okay. can. So real quick, I, I think... I try and surround myself with the best people that I can. Uh, I think Tim Ferriss said in a podcast one time that you're the average of the five people you hang out with the most. So I just try and surround myself with really great people. And that doesn't mean I exclude anyone else, but I just, I want to be at my best when I'm in school and because that just makes the, the day better for everyone. So I just try and surround myself with people that are really great. And there's, you know, there's always people that are going to complain about anything. So, you know, I just, I I distanced myself enough, but like still say what's up or like if we got to dinner or something like that. I still hang out with them, but you know, I have yeah. my core group. What was the, uh, what was the follow
0: up they saw? Uh, let's see. I think it was two, I Williams, one, two, four. Ah, I just scrolled down. Sorry. Listen. It moved quick. When you do that, like the whole class kind of gets mad at you or it's kind of you versus them. And I've kind of experienced that. I had one class that they were constantly rowdy, all, always just it was a rough one. It was the same class that I kind of talked with these two kids with, and that definitely helped. But there were a few times that I just had to stop the lesson and had to address what was going on. And like you said, a lot of the time I'll say, either I'm not being clear or there's something that I am doing, but also I remind them of, of, I, I have very few like rules or procedures that I have in my class. But one of the big ones is to respect, each other to respect me respect classroom materials and I remind them of that and I say we need to get over this we need to address it and I don't continue the class until I feel that we have addressed it and I usually listen to them Uh, with the same class I asked what can I do to help you succeed what can I do to help you feel more engaged And it's amazing to me, this class that was just wild and out of control. Most of the time stopped and really thought about it because I put it on their shoulders to decide as a class, what should we do to make this better? And they started giving me suggestions on how to make the class better. And I said, all right, I'll stick with those. We're going to, those are our new classroom rules just for your classroom. And we're going to see if they work. And because they came up with them because they came up with these rules on their own they were more invested in keeping them than just yeah. the arbitrary rules I give them, even if I give them um, a lot of information on why this it should be this way and kind of back it up. When they come up with the rules, and I, I haven't done it with all my classes, this was kind of a our particular case where yeah. it was a struggle almost the whole year. When they came up with these rules, they were way more invested, were way more attentive, participated in class a lot better, and we were able to get stuff done.
1: So hopefully that
0: helped a little.
1: Yeah, ownership is is everything. Sometimes I mean, if the kids feel like they own the class or that they are in charge of, like it's not just me being a dictator, <laughs> but we're all part of a community that has a lot that has a lot of power. Uh, so Adriana had a statement. So my wife sits next to me silently. No one knows that she's here, and uh, she tells me what to read, and so she's whispering in my ear that this is just a statement. It's not a question. So, Adriana said, and now she's smacking me. Um, I teach fifth grade. I had started getting the idea of lunching with my students regularly, but if but you know that there are other teachers how other teachers can be, they really discourage me from giving up a lunch to be with the kids. Um, I think you know that's it's so funny. I had someone call me recently um sometimes if i really if a comment on youtube really hits me in a certain way and i feel like my response is gonna be super long i'll just like send someone my phone number and say like yo just give me a call and we'll work it out Mm -hmm. and so this woman said i just started teaching and everyone just keeps telling me that i do too much or that i my projects are too big or my relationships are are you know too deep with the students i i just think that's like Keep doing what you're doing. Like if you feel like in your gut that what you're doing is the right thing and that it's the best for the students, how can it be wrong? Like what are you going to do, get burnout because you don't have lunch by yourself every day? There are days when I eat lunch with all those kids in my room and I'll send out the ones that I think are too loud or I'll put a note on my forehead that says I need 10 minutes by myself so that I can just eat my lunch and have quiet. And the kids are super respectful of that. And so it's not like I'm entertaining every day. I think it's just the proximity, right? It's like family dinner. You don't have to talk to everyone that's at the table. But it's just nice to be together every day. And I I wouldn't give it up for anything. So, you know, if you feel like that that's the right thing, Adriana, I would just say, keep going. Do the right thing that, yeah. that you think is good for the kids. Um, I don't know this name. L E. Gets fit, good for you, Ellie. I like that that, uh, that name. It says, actually, Mr. Reynolds and Mr. Peck, how do you, how do you confront prejudice from students that may exist? I'm a black female teacher in a majority white military school. Military school. Wow, that's kind of awesome. Um, and I love that question. So, I.
0: Whoo, do you want to? Do we go further? It does exist within just the students or
1: school. I I guess I'm asking. Oh, we could talk to both of those. I mean, it could be prejudice. Yeah. Um,
0: That I think is often tricky. And maybe I'm lucky in that I teach English because I feel like it's easy to talk about that because we have to talk about things like bias. Um, and oftentimes when I talk about bias, I start with bias in the media, but move it into our own biases. Yeah. And we talk about it. We talk about, yeah, we talk about our experiences and how our experiences make us think a certain way about all sorts of situations. We talk about, um, moral foundation theory and how different people have a different set of morals and that will make you like one thing more than another, or think one way more than another. And it all kind of lends itself to English, I guess, in a way, because we're talking about papers, we're talking about doing research papers, that you don't want to be a biased author, so you have to understand what bias is. But I try to make it more relatable to their own lives, and hopefully they take away from that. One thing I tell them over and over and over again throughout the entire year is my biggest goal for them is to enjoy English, to enjoy reading, and to, if not enjoy, to appreciate the importance of writing well. But right after that, or alongside that, I say you need to be critical thinkers. You need to really be able to evaluate not only the things that are happening around you, whether it's your citizenship type of things like politics or your role in the community, but also just like family. And then you need to know, you need to critically think about yourself. And I read a passage from Ta-Nehisi Coates' Between the World and Me, where he says, anytime I would get in trouble in school, my mother would have me answer questions like, why do I feel that the teacher is not entitled to my respect? Really like poignant questions. And he had to think about it. And question why he felt that way because essentially that was what his behavior was showing is he was being disrespectful and in some way he felt that the teacher didn't deserve that and I tell them that's not a, a way of curving their behavior into what I think it should be it's a way of them just asking themselves why they do what they do believe what they do so when they have prejudices hopefully throughout the year they start to understand that maybe they're not correct if they're really critically evaluating things. And a lot of my lessons are geared towards that critical evaluation.
1: Yeah. I I think that's a really, that's a really great answer. Um, I do. So what, one of the things I think that this could be handled in a lot of different ways and it really depends on like, I think the particularities of the situation, but I would say, that I try and air things out whenever I can. So if there's something really big that came up in the news or if there's something that I feel like the kids, I hear the kids talking about, I'm always paying attention to what the kids are talking about, even when they don't think I am. Because they talk about everything super loud and then they are surprised that I know that like that's what they said. But um, I have a box in my room and we call it the box of questions. It really was a hard title to come up with because it's a box and we put questions in it. And I allow students to put any question in there that they want to. They're curious about something. They don't know about something. They have some kind of preconceived notion that they're too embarrassed to ask about or investigate on their own. They just put it in there. And we go through all kinds of stuff. And so there are questions about race and race and ethnicity and religion. And, um, you know, how do you know if you're gay, right? So like, and and I realize who I am, right? I, I don't go into this with some illusion that like, I'm not... Like I'm a straight white male in 2017. Like I, I, I get to some extent, yeah. right? What my, what my level of privilege is and, um, and who I am and, and who I'm speaking with. So I try not to pretend to know everything, but what that question does is it just creates a classroom discussion for kids to be able to talk about it. And no one has to own the question. They can just kind of say what they think about that issue. And I think that really, really helps because, uh, you know, as you know, like a a lot of those sort of like bias comes largely from you not really knowing what everyone else is about. So when my students will say things about like for the last few years with a lot of the police brutality stuff that was going on, they would come in and say, well, what do you think about this, Reynolds? And they would use the word they all the time. They do this or they do that. And I just remind them, like, you realize that's me, right? Like I'm I'm the they. I'm the I'm the white dude. And so. In a way that kind of shocks kids and then it allows us a chance to like really enter into a real conversation about things and so I think whenever you're dealing with that sort of struggle I mean my idea would just be to air it out have the conversation with whomever you can not everyone's going to be willing some kids shut down when I ask certain questions they want nothing to do with it that's fine you don't have to. you know it's an optional activity that we're doing but it I think it really helps bridge a lot of gaps. One other thing um, that I would want to talk about, just because I recently
0: talked about it with another teacher that works with me, is not shaming them when maybe they do make a mistake. So something really easy uh, that I that I hear every once in a while is when a student is using words inappropriately, like "retard" or "gay," and I don't call them out in a negative way. I just simply correct them. So if they do say that's retarded, I just say, oh, you mean that's dumb? And they kind of sit there and then they realize what I'm saying, but I don't call attention to it. I don't make them feel embarrassed. And it almost always works where they, they are a little more careful about it. I don't have to have any big conversations unless it's constantly happening and they're being really disrespectful. Then it kind of comes down to that, pull them aside um, and talk to them in private not in front of everyone, but really quick things like that. They first off know where I stand on using words like that. And it, it can be more than just those words that we're talking about, but they know where I stand and it helps encourage them to, to be the same because I didn't shame them. I didn't make them feel embarrassed or anything like that. It was just a really quick little thing.
1: Yeah. That's, I think that's really, um, I don't even have anything to add to that. It's a really good. Good <laughs> point. Um, so we're, oh, that was my bad. Sorry. So we're coming up on an hour. You want to do two more questions? Yeah. Good? Cool. Uh, so Philip White says, can you send this question, please? Wait. All right, so uh, I'm gonna paraphrase this. Do you have any advice to avoid getting overloaded with the workload in first, for a first year teacher? During my student teacher, I was warned that I would get overloaded in my first year. Um, I think that's an awesome question. And I think you might be able to speak to that really well since you just kind of went through that in the recent past.
0: Yeah, Um, let's see. Not getting overloaded. I feel I still get overloaded, especially when essays are due and I have like a huge stack that I have to make my way through. But it hasn't been too bad. I think a lot of it has to do with having a relationship with other teachers where you can get advice from them, talk about it with them, but I also try to keep in mind why I'm doing this and stay focused on that. I'm really honest with my students when they turn in these essays like, guys, it's gonna take a while to get through, please be patient with me. And sometimes it does end up I'm at work for hours after the school is ended or I have to take all these essays home, which I typically will just grade while I'm watching Netflix, which might not be the best way to do it. But hey, if it gets you through it, I think the most important thing is figuring out what works for you, which is going to be the most, uh, unstressful thing. And I read this passage in a book. I don't know if this is good advice, but I feel like it is. So I'm going to go ahead and say it. Don't grade everything. A lot of the stuff that I teach, I want to make sure that they understand, but I don't need to put a grade in for everything. Sometimes I've got my first year of teaching. I taught one single class sophomore English six times. So when an essay was due, that was close to 200 essays that I was getting all at once. And I grade all of those, but everything they did in the meantime, I didn't really grade or I I, can't I, even guess believe I read that
1: just, I can't <laughs> believe you know that secret two years in. Like <laughs> I feel like it took <laughs> four years before I started doing that. Yeah. Uh, yeah. It, point.
0: No, and, and it is, it's, you, you just can't do everything. A lot yeah. of it, don't stress yourself about there's some big assignments yeah you kind of have to take your time and i don't know what what you teach for english it's essays for i don't know math maybe it's some test or something i i'm not sure but don't stress your out yourself out too much about those little assignments those little things a lot of formative assessments can be done really quickly you can really usually if i read through a few of them and if i look at students i think might not have gotten it read through there specifically, I can get an idea of where the class is going. Do I need to go over this again? Do I not? But I don't have to worry about putting a grade in for that. So,
1: yeah. Yeah. I, you know, that's a really great answer. And I'm going to go one step further and say, this is like advice that would get me in trouble that if anyone from school was watching, they'd be like, that's why you don't do that. Uh, (laughs) I just don't, I just don't even pretend that everything that the school says is important is important, right? So someone might send me like, A survey or an email or a question about something and I have to I only have so many hours in the day and I have to figure out how I'm going to allocate all of those hours and minutes and if I think that a student needs to talk to me or if I think that something needs to be graded because it is very important to get back to the students in a timely manner or if I think that um, I saw a teacher come in that day or I heard that they had a bad night or something's going on with their family and I want to go speak with them like that stuff trumps emails all day or paperwork or any other stuff that's sent to me and it doesn't mean that all that's completely unimportant sometimes it is and sometimes it isn't but it just means that there's other things that are more important than that and so I'd say as a first-year teacher like figure out what you feel like is the most important you're not going to get fired for not sending back emails you know um, I think it's interesting you brought up Neil Gaiman earlier because he did one of my favorite graduation speeches of all time and he said you only have to be good at two out of three things. And those are, you're either always on time, you're really likable, or you do really good work. So if you do really good work and you're always on time, no one cares if they like you. If you're really likable and you are always on time, no one cares if your work's that good. Like They'll just deal with you. And so I just thought that was really eye-opening to me and it seemed to fit a lot of things. So I think just don't make everything important figure out what is important and go hard on those things, and then that's it. Um, We're going with this one. So last question is, C.C. Moffitt said, did did either of you work in a school with a low ratio of male teachers, and have you noticed a difference in how your students respond to female teachers? Uh, We have one male teacher in our school. That's that's an awesome question. I can really speak to that in a different way, but. Uh, what's, what's, yeah, what's... I
0: the the school I have is is definitely mostly female, but in the English department, it's mostly male. I'm trying to think. There's four guys, three girls, so it's pretty even, I guess. Um, I do see some differences. Unfortunately, they're not the type that I would really hope to see, and it's it's the respect that's given. For instance, there was a time when one of She's an intern there. This is her first year teaching. She had to come and get me because her students were just freaking out about we had this kind of common assessment we did and if they didn't score very high we were just going to do some remediation. It was going to take a week, nothing huge, just to make sure that they understand what we're doing. And they were just like in an uproar. They're extremely rude to her and she came and got me and I had to talk to her class and it, it kind of made me a little sad because they responded more to me Than they did to her and i i don't know how she teaches i've only been in her class once while she was teaching but i think there is kind of this idea where the female teachers aren't as respected as much as maybe the male ones which which i try to address just heads on in my classroom and talk about in very honest ways the way that i think students respond best to those is making sure I am calm when I'm talking about it. I'm talking about it more of an intellectual type of way, rather than uh, coming from a biased or, or, or an angry perspective when something like that happens. So there is some some differences, and I don't think that's across the board. I don't think that's in all of the subjects. I hope, I guess, this is my only instance that anything like that happened, but it seemed to be a regular thing with with this teacher. And it might've been a combination of her being brand new but also being female that was unfortunate. And I think we try to address it heads on with students. I don't see any, any difference in treatment though between faculty.
1: Yeah, I, I think my answer is kind of the same. I, we have a pretty good mix of male and female teachers and a lot of, so there's like a sizable number of African-American teachers, of Asian teachers, Uh, I don't, that's pretty much our mix. And so I think the men do get a lot more respect off from the jump from the boys. Uh, I teach at all boys school. And so Mm
0: -hmm.
1: it's, it's interesting, which women get more respect. So they're generally like, uh, my friend Cho is like, she is super serious. She's no nonsense. And the boys really, really respond to that. But if someone appears softer or if they're like really caring or if the kids think that they can get one over on them they'll totally go for it and that's that's man or woman but I think from my observances like that the men do get a lot more respect and so the way that I kind of try and counteract that is I try as often as I can to just talk about how awesome my co-workers are that if the kids will come in and say they don't like so-and-so that their class is too wild that they Um, let the kids get away from it with everything I say do you realize how awesome they are though like she grew up in this country or went to this school or outside of school she does this thing or she's literally the funniest person I've ever hung out with uh, outside of school and so I it's all truth I don't try and just make anything up and like spice somebody up but I think if you're trusting me and you're believing in what I'm saying and you're giving me the respect if I vouch for someone, which is a really, really big thing in schools, like this idea of vouching for someone, then, I, then I'll, you know, you might believe me. And, and if nothing else, you'll know that you can't talk trash because these are my friends, right? They're not just my coworkers, but like almost everyone at the school I feel like is my friend. And that's huge. Don't talk about my friends and the guys always, always react to that in a, in a really positive way or will apologize. And so that's That's kind of my best advice as to how to go about that. Um, Cool. Chris, thanks a lot, man. These hours go really fast before you know know. it. Like an hour later, I really appreciate you being on. Um, Where can everyone find you on on the internet if they haven't been on here?
0: Mostly, yeah,
1: just Instagram. It's uh, underscore
0: hipster teacher underscore because hipster teacher was taken. Uh, but yeah, mostly on Instagram, I'm trying to figure out this YouTube thing. Hopefully by the end of the summer, I can start something with, with starting a new school year with YouTube after I've had some time to look over it and figure out what I'm even doing. So, but yeah, it's been great.
1: I think a really great way to start doing that is just as like a, a small end point is like, um, to just start you can just start making things with your phone. I mean, I record everything on my phone and you can just do right on iMovie in your phone and it works really, really well. So uh, I meant to bring up earlier when that person had that question, but um, Chris, appreciate it, man. Thanks for coming on. Thank you. All right. Have a good night. Thanks guys. And that's it for this week, gang. Look, if you ever want to have your question answered on Sunday Night Teacher Talk, all you have to do is show up at 5 p.m. Eastern Standard Time on my YouTube channel, Real Wrap with Reynolds, and I'd be happy to answer any question that you put out there. Nothing is off the table. Thanks so much for your support. We really, really appreciate it, and I hope you have a great week. Peace.